0: couple minutes late, but uh, welcome to Tech Talk, Taco Tuesday number seven, live from Ramiro's in Pahrump, Nevada. Had a really good week of riding. Makes me excited. Had a bad day of working up on top of a roof today, and means I didn't go riding, so I'm not excited about that, but I'm stoked to be here. We're going to talk about um, motorcycles, dirt bikes specifically, and dirt bike-related products. Um, Got a few things to talk about. Mentioned we were going to talk about electric bikes. Um, We'll talk a little bit about our Honda Sierra 450 x the 2019 bike. Uh, I've been wearing some new Climb tactical gear, which is like a protective undergarment. Probably talk about that. Haven't really tested it that much yet because luckily I haven't fallen over or used it, but I did do a couple things with it. And uh found some interesting things on, on the internet and of course I will answer as many questions of yours uh, that you post up on the live stream as I can we try to keep this thing in about an hour long and then uh, put it up on the YouTubes later so in case our stream drops here and you miss something you can go watch it over there and maybe even have a, a guest or something that's what this microphone over here is for um, so we'll see how this goes I am going to look at the questions real quick, see where we're at. Um, i got to figure out whether this thing goes up or down like that. I can't tell, but it looks like it goes up, so we should be good. So uh, on the big news front this week on the dirt bikes, Honda introduced a CRF, and actually it's it's a CRE, not a CRF. Um, we called it a CRF because Honda had this big initiative where they were going to make the entire off-road dirt bike line um, CRFs, which stands for four-stroke. And now there's a CR, and if you look really careful at it, it says CR, and there's a big E, and then it says prototype. So this thing was built by uh, HRC in conjunction with Mugen over in Honda. It was released at the Tokyo Moto Show, which was used to be a really big... Event where there was all kinds of cool stuff. This is um, probably one of the bigger things that they introduced, and it is well, it's another electric bike. And so, I have ridden the electric bike since they very first started, and probably up until you know just recently, and just by just recently, I mean the Alta and then a little bit of the KTM. I didn't think they were ready for prime time, uh, the especially for off road. And I'm sp- sp- uh, speaking specifically off road because when you start talking about like on road and urban commuter stuff, um, there's a big need for those. And some of those bikes are really good. And they became um, the zeros specifically uh, got really good at this sort of um, urban commuter mobility bike. Uh, you see a, a lot of them uh, in cities. You see people. Uh, actually see um, some sheriff 's departments and police departments have started using them. so um, I have kind of my own um, personal take on on uh, where I think the electric bike is at and i 've always said um, for a long time that the best uh, electric bike is was the OSet and those are these little children's bikes and they're they're little trials trials bikes and they 're great because you just plug them in and your kid rides them around, the battery lasts longer than your kid's attention span, and they learn how to ride bikes, and there's no oil or grease, or you throw it in the trunk, and you can ride it around in a park, and usually people say, oh, look at that little kid, he's having fun. And then it's kinda, kinda cute. So, um, didn't really have the, the bad side of things that go around with like, let's say if a kid was riding a PW50 around the same park, Because it's a gas motor and it made a little bit of noise, you would have people saying, maybe not so cute, hey, you're not allowed to do that. And this kind of takes me on to the next thing, like are electric bikes going to replace gas-powered bikes? Not so quick, especially when we start talking about them in an off-road environment. What's cool about this Honda is it shows that they are interested in it and they're they're, looking forward and from my take on it is that the battery technology is going to advance so quickly that you know jumping into it now is only probably in a in a development stage you want to learn about it you want to have some experience with the technology you want to see how your customer base responds to this technology what they did was um I don't know, it was about a year ago maybe a little bit more um Mugen re- re- um produced this it was kind of weird. It was really um, organic looking uh, electric bike. And it was, I think it was camouflaged and it looked like a leopard or something like that. I don't remember. There's pictures all over the internet of this thing. That was the first um, kind of thing. It wasn't Honda specifically doing it, but it was Mugen doing it. And they have uh, a long history with Honda. And you can see uh, that. Um, they helped develop one of the uh, Honda Superbikes that's raced uh, at Isle of Man TT in the electric class. And so there's these kind of niche um, you know, racing applications, and I'm sure that they're trying different things. Uh, they don't really release a whole lot of information about what's inside of the motor and how it works. Uh, but from what you can see in the pictures, it does not have a clutch lever, so it's a single-speed, um, You know, typical wire-to-rear-wheel um, they have some sort of a controller in there that controls how much um, power is getting put to the rear wheel and if you know anything about electric motors they make all of their torque at zero RPMs. so when I rode the very first some of the very first electric bikes the interesting thing was was when you hit it they went bang and then the more you twisted the throttle the more they got laxadaisical da- for lack of a better term so when you're doing something like coming up to the lip of a jump and you use that last little burst to, you know, to kind of carry the bike, it, it was like your bike bogged. It was like it was almost like it was seizing. <laughs> that would be the only way I'd be able to describe the, the, uh, the, the feeling. It's like you're 125. You're going off the jump and it starts to seize and it just loses all of its torque as you rev it up. Well, those are the early controllers, and then they were developed a lot by you know people in the mountain bike world or bicycle world that just any anytime you could get power it was good so there was there was some time there was some development and advancements in the controllers that got better so they actually had a normal throttle feel but the original bikes were just for a regular dirt bike guy were horrible so um, kind of roll in then there was some advancement in technology where they got the controllers to mimic more what a regular throttle does largely because some of those developers and engineers went and rode a motorcycle and saw how it worked. And then there was, a, I can't remember the name of the brand right now, but they actually put a transmission in theirs. So it had a clutch and a transmission, but it still ran through an electric motor to try to get some of that feel and be able to use the torque. Because the faster you went, the less torque, because the motor is spinning, essentially, you know, except with the exception of the, the, the gearing from the countershaft sprocket to the big sprocket. Um, the motor is still sprinting, spinning pretty fast, and that caused kind of like a lack of, of, of snap or torque feel. So roll forward to where we're at now, and Alta kind of came along. And I remember when I very first saw the Alta, I just went pipe dream because <laughs> it really... Um hey, Mitch, could you not you significantly dis- diminished our internet speeds. Yeah. Really? It's it's coming it's coming in a in a tube of I don't know, right out of right out of that door. Yeah, you blocked it. <laughs> it started to drive. So, um, anyhow, uh, back to the, the the Alta. I I saw it and I said that's kind of crazy um, and they were they were they were comparing it straight away they compared it with a 250cc motocross bike and I'm like that's a big ask. And I hadn't ridden um, a bike that was able to electric bike that was able to put out that kind of power. Zero had some stuff that did pretty good, but it still wasn't 250F worthy. And then um, I finally got a chance to ride an Alta, and I was really, really impressed uh, with the power output and the fact that they got some what a normal guy would kind of expect as a characteristic dirt bike style um, power or pull out of out of it. And, uh, but they were dealing with some suspension issues and what I always thought was kind of a, a critical handling issue with the way that the chassis was designed and how the engine was driving, connecting to the, the, the swing arm and where the foot pegs were. It was something that, yeah, knowing from some development projects I've been involved with before, that type of chassis doesn't really work on something that's that that's that heavy, and the bike was a little bit heavy because the battery was heavy. But when you rode it, it did not feel that heavy because a lot of that weight was not spinning like it is in a normal, you know, like a 450. It weighed, I'm pre- pretty sure it weighed kind of similar to what a 450 weighed. But when it rode, when you rode it, it felt a lot lighter, and I was really impressed with that bike. And I thought, okay, there's a lot of development here, but how much money have they milked? out of wherever they're thinking because they're going to have to sell a lot of these to to um make it profitable and of course the battery technology is changing and that battery wasn't exactly interchangeable so um well we saw where that's gone i i believe harley davidson owns that uh that intellectual property right now and i don't think you're going to see uh altas being produced anymore so enter uh, the, the Honda bike, um, there's some interesting things in that it's water-cooled, so they have obviously probably putting out some power, and they need to run water through that engine or the engine controller or something to keep it uh, cooled down, maybe through the battery as well. And everything revolves at this point around batteries. And I've heard a few people say that you need uh, – we, we went down, didn't we? Yeah, I think we dropped. Okay, it resumed. I just got to know. <laughs> um, so we were talking about the, the Honda being liquid cooled, which means they're putting out a significant amount of power. That's, you know, you have to disperse the heat when you're doing that kind of stuff. And and their super bike that they're running, Isle of Man, is, has no shortage of power. So that's not the problem. It's like, how do you control it? But it really comes down to battery power. And you're storing this energy inside of a battery. And how quickly can you charge it? How quickly is going to discharge? and I hear all different kinds of arguments about it. Oh, this is green. And I had an interesting um, uh, kind of uh, point of view put together uh, by my good friend, Chris Rial, who runs DPS Technical, and he uh, is always doing sound tests and a lot of uh, really uh, insightful engineering and sound and and, uh, emissions compliance. tests with lots of different vehicles, and he said, he was kind of like, well, look at it this way. What does it take to charge that battery up? And we're talking about off-road specific vehicles. And generally, if you're off-road, you're going to go riding someplace where you're not going to be able to plug it into this charging station that they have out in Baker, California for your Tesla. Tesla, Or in these long-distance, you know, how, how far will it go? But let's just say we're going to ride that bike for 40 miles. Um, that's how far we got on our Alta, I believe, before it was literally, you know, it was getting pretty close to being dead. We had a little bit of kind of safety. I think we got 45 on it. You'd have to look on the on the test, on dirt bike test, to see exactly the numbers. I don't remember. But uh, when you start talking about the 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 range, okay, if you were to go that far on your regular dirt bike, you'd maybe burn a gallon or a gallon and a half of fuel. And even in a racing application, you're getting 20 miles a gallon. So... That's two gallons of fuel to go your 40 miles in a, in a worst-case scenario. But if you were going to charge that back up, let's say we're going to charge that to a full charge, in the Altus case, it um, kind of was going to take a big generator, which is like an 1,800cc generator, and it was going to have to run for two and a half hours. And so you start looking at the fuel consumption of that, that's like a gallon an hour, net net you're burning more fossil fuel to charge up your battery to go less distance. You know, so that's that's kind of a that's an interesting thing. It's like how green is this? And that's not even getting into the discussion of how these batteries are produced and what's the life of the battery and a lot of other things that we look at. But here's the positives of this. They're quiet. And we were just having a discussion at dinner about, you know, that they're gonna have to make sound making devices on motorcycles or uh, cars because people can't hear them coming but these are quiet and I think that's the best thing because now we have these off-road areas where one of the biggest things that you need to be aware of is your sound how much noise you're making how close can you get to urban environments without disturbing you know it's the biggest problem with motocross tracks they get shut down because they're too loud so this could be um, a kind of a solution to that and and most people don't ride their bikes you know, for, they're not gonna go out and do a 40 minute moto. So uh, you can probably get two 20 minute motos with current battery technology and be pretty happy with um, your performance. So there's, there's on that side. And, but no matter what, if you're out on the trail and you're seeing this happen with the, the power assist mountain bike community, if you're out riding on trails and you're gonna get stink eye if you're on one of those really bitchin' power assist mountain bikes that work great and they're not it's not like they're tearing the trail up it's just like oh you're not really riding you're not using human power you have an engine and you do you have an engine so um, i have nothing against the the e-assist mountain bikes i think it's great Uh, it's getting more people out there um, people that can't you know it makes people more compatible you know maybe you're really fit and someone like me who's not very fit i can go riding with you on an e-bike or maybe even though I'm not very fit, my wife can go riding with me on an e-bike, and I ride my regular bike, and that's a cool kind of thing. So I don't, I don't know exactly where this is going, but, um, you know, you have to start thinking about, you know, the advantages. Okay, they're quiet. Uh, they do have a, a, a more green perception, but in reality, maybe they're, in, they're not. And then, you know, how, how is this going to introduce more people? Where is where's this technology going? you know you've seen Honda is putting it into a really good chassis. They're putting it in a very um you know top of the line chassis. They are a motorcycle company. They know how to make a good chassis. Um KTM chose to put theirs inside of a freeride chassis which was a little bit different. So they were saying, okay, maybe this is a different platform. It's not really for competition use. Um so We'll see. It's still new. I really think it's it's new. I think it's it's awesome that Honda's got into it. It kind of does legitimize uh, the the fact that electric uh, vehicles are coming, and I'm sure they are. It's just it's it's an evolving technology, and you wouldn't want to be left behind. But I think you know, like a company like Alta, for instance, really kind of pioneered new ground and showed what you could do. And it gets kind of tricky being kind of the first to the game. So that's my. A take on the electric thing. I will hopefully um, poke around and see what you guys have said. Although I think my stream's down again, isn't it? Yeah, we think so. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, no, I got, I got a couple things. Uh, let's see. Hydrogen powered. Yeah, there's Bob for you, right? <laughs> okay. We we have to method. <laughs> Got 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 crazy Nate in the house here tonight, and anybody, (laughs) yeah. So uh, if you've been around the motorcycle industry for a long time, and I've been around for a little bit of a long time, uh, you would know who Crazy Nate was because the infamous super hunky Rick Simon used to write about him, because Crazy Nate was his number one test rider back in dirt rider dirt bike magazine days. Um, He's he's the guy who took a stock. Hey, Nate, what'd you win the Greenhorn on? Oh. What bike? Why is he 250? A, yeah, he can't remember exactly what it was, but he took one of their magazine bikes. Bike bike. He, he, he's like, it's a dirt bike test bike. I don't know. He took a magazine test bike. He didn't, know, he didn't know how to time keep, and he managed to finish the first day with like a broken frame and some other stuff. And you gotta, you got to hear these stories. They're absolutely classic. But uh, he, he, he was going to quit because he didn't really like riding. You didn't like riding Enduros. Yeah, he said, he said he liked riding because the Enduros were so fast you didn't have to keep time. So anyways, he finished the first day with a broken frame, said he didn't like it, quit. They welded his frame back together, and he went on to win because he was one of the few guys that, A, finished and was able to keep time. God forbid he had to timekeep, right? Timekeeping was for... Timekeeping was for intellectuals. Yeah, it was for intellectuals, he said. And he usually uses a different word. So... Um, Anyways, I'm going to kind of run down some of the questions. Uh, am I? Is Andrew Short training with me again this year? I hope so. I think he is. He's in Dubai right now. They, they're racing. Racing into training shape. Um, let's see. What kind of range are you talking about for electric conductor bike? I have no idea because I haven't ridden one, and I won't know until I do, but um, they're not really giving that stuff. And uh, Dave Whitell says, I saw the MIPS article in Cycle World. How are you going to create a rig to test that. I am not going to. I'm going to find someone that is a good scientist that understands um, off-road concussions and and how off-road crashes happen, and there's some really good guys out there, and I would like to uh, bring that person or their lab a whole bunch of helmets to test so we can see how this stuff works. Now, like I talked about in the last thing, if you tell me how you're going to crash, I can probably tell you based on the test results what kind of helmet you should use. But you can never s- simulate exactly what happens. But these technologies, the the, the rotational impacts and things, I, it's, it's all getting better and better. And it's great that we're looking at it. And, uh, you know, I think the, the good thing about MIPS is it's simple. They'll license it out. You can install it on almost any helmet. Um, so And it doesn't affect the overall effectiveness of the helmet in the in the normal tests, so it's just a bonus at this point. Um, but to actually properly test it, it'll take a lot of uh, a lot of um, information and you know it doesn't the feed is constantly freezing. I know, because I think everybody in here is using the internet. So we're gonna we we keep saying we're gonna fix it, and I I don't. But if I don't, um, if I don't fix it, shoot my my uh, my computer doesn't even work anymore. Okay, that's it. Internets are fired here. Do I have to run a speed test to see it? No, I'm going to check right here on my other phone. Let's see here. Let's see. I have good signal with my thing, so that's good. And we're going to check. I'm going to wreck the internets by doing a speed test. Cause we'll figure out how to get to the bottom. Is it back at all? Yeah. yeah I'm showing good download speed, so That's okay. Why don't we open that door again and see if that helps? Maybe we should start asking a bunch of silly questions. Okay, I'm going to ignore you, Bob. How about that? I can push a button. (laughs) Uh, Let's see unrealistic I'm trying to watch but it keeps freezing yeah I would be out too if it freezes but here's what you do if this freezes is you go on to dirt bike test and tomorrow we will put up um, the uh, the full live feed from the YouTubes and then you can do that Uh, obviously it's working at some point or another because people are seeing and hearing things I think it's because everybody in here started using their phones all of a sudden, and then they killed uh, killed off the internet. So, I'm gonna move on to our Honda 450X, which um, we basically put it ah, probably 1,800 miles on it. Uh, chain and sprockets wore out, so we have a new Sunstar. Um, uh, it's called a Works Z steel sprocket. I don't know if you ever seen one of these. But it's really interesting. It's a pressed, um, I think it's stainless, pressed stainless sprocket. And it's like has little thin teeth that are alternated. So they, they, they're kind of like, I'm going to go up here so this thing, it's like they're alternated. So it's one side gets on one, doesn't fit all the way in between the chain. It does like half chain, It goes on one side, the middle, the other side, and, and vice versa. Kind of swings around. So I don't know if you've ever ridden in sand and you've gone a deep sand and your chain tightens up because it packs sand. It's on there. It goes clunk, 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 clunk. This sprocket doesn't do that because it's only using a small portion. It's not wedging a bunch of sand inside of there. And I've used one a long time ago on a long-term KTM 400 I had. And I got an incredible amount of mileage on it. And I thought it wouldn't last that long. And I thought, okay, it wouldn't last that long. And then I thought maybe it would wear the chain out as well uh, prematurely. And it didn't do that either. So uh, we put one of those on with one of the Sunstar chains. Um, We also went from a 51 to a 50. Uh, rear sprocket and then the way we cut the chain was we moved the um, the, the, the axle slower, slower, uh, closer to the um, up in the swing arm, closer to the engine which made the wheelbase just a little bit shorter and this is something that we also saw that um, Johnny Campbell did with their race bike and it really does help the handling if that bike has just a little bit shorter of a wheelbase it makes it feel a lot more lively and it doesn't lose any stability so those are the, some of the things we've done with that bike Um, and we tried a bunch of TM Design Works stuff and I think the chain guide and the countershaft sprocket cover fit as well as the caliper cover and the rear disc um, rotor protector so uh, the skid plate didn't fit because there's a coolant catch tank where they attach to so they're going to have to do some modifications there and the buffer pad is completely different on the X model because the swing arm and the attachment points are different so that's where we're at with that bike Um, and now we're over two thousand miles on it we've done a few oil changes I'm gonna put up a test on that bike and the one question I did see a couple times was Jimmy would you have this or a KTM 450 and I it's a loaded question because Um, I don't know what KTM 450 you were referring to when you asked that question, because is it EXC or, which there's not a lot of, there's the six day ones, or are you talking about like XCF? And I would compare XCF more to the Honda RX, not the straight X. I would compare the EXC more to where the, the CRF 450, um, is. So, um the Honda is really good at like Baja style stuff and going fast like, you know, two tracks and even fast desert single track and stuff. It's really, really good at that. And the more we ride it, um, the more we realize that and the more that I ride it on that kind of stuff, the more I appreciate what it's doing. And I think, you know, cause KTMs are pretty good, but the more you're going in slower and more single tracky kind of stuff, the the ktm becomes better the faster you're going the more you're kind of moving like i always said right from the get-go that the honda is really good if you're just going to leave it completely box stock and just ride it like that um, but if you start looking at modifying it it's it's there's right now there's less stuff to do but it's really simple stuff to do we'll talk about that in the update um, and then you can kind of get pretty decent power, and you, it's it's you can get uncorked. You're turning into a really good competition bike, and even for like stuff like Heron Hounds, I think it's going to be a lot better than the than the Honda RX. So there's ways to do that, and but it's kind of like if you're second through sixth gear, Honda. If you're first through fourth gear, KTM. And then if you're you know, and that's that's EXE versus. Um, Uh, x Uh, once you go to once you go to xc then you're more in rx territory and that's a we we did a comparison with those bikes i believe last year so that'll give you a little bit more idea on those different bikes so that's on that one um and another thing uh interestingly enough that came up and i'm going to go ahead and try to see if this thing uh i don't know If I can get some questions back up here, because I see it's it's back up um, on the thing here. Let's let's try to reload this and see how we do, and get some more questions. Okay. Wow, there are questions. I see them now. Incredible. Let's see, scrolling down, yeah. yeah, there we go, I caught back up. I'm back, maybe you're back. Let's see, last year my, so Jesse asked, last year my 2013 KTM EXC had its cam chain jump off somewhere, basically my bike ran fine. The previous ride with no signs of any issues, next ride I, I offloaded and it was completely locked up and what, the kickstart, let let's see, I'm just uh, summarizing here. Um, so basically his cam chain tensioner on a KTM 350, which is, that one is activated via oil pressure only, uh, somehow uh, allowed the cam chain to jump. Yes, I've heard of this happening before. Um, Is it a common issue? I don't think it's that common, although I have a KTM 350, and I had one that has probably 350, 400 hours on it, and it did something similar, although when we heard that cam chain get loose... Which was at low RPM, it was it was fine, and all of a sudden, just at low RPM, it was clanking. We stopped riding the bike, and I replaced the cam chain tensioner. It's never been a problem since then. Um, So I know that Dirt Tricks does make a uh, one that's manually adjustable, and there's some that have some ratcheting mechanisms in there. Uh, Those can be good and bad for a couple number of different reasons. If it's just manually adjustable, you have to know how to manually adjust it and do it properly. That takes. Probably a lot more technique than I would say. Somebody that you, you're going to have more. Most people would have more problems with something like that uh, than than not have that problem. So, uh, but if you hear it getting loud and clanky, um, <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop. Don't ride it anymore. Uh, hopefully that uh, answers that question. Um, let's see. I'll go down here. Um, so the other thing, I, another interesting question I was asked this week was, uh, someone had a completely stock KTM and I don't know exactly which one it was, but it was in one of the emissions compliance bikes. I think it was a, uh, an EXC and they were having problems with it, not running very well. All of a sudden it was just, especially at low RPMs. It was having a hard time starting and it was really kind of crappy at low RPMs and, those bikes so basically they have an evaporative emission system on there so the, the, where the where the vent hose comes out of the gas tank it's not really a vent hose it, it gets sucked back into the charcoal container and via your intake system the, the, the sucking pressure of the intake system they're drawing some of those, that's where they're creating the, the vacuum and they're drawing some of those fumes back in and burning them as opposed to letting them escape out in the atmosphere so there's all kinds of different things, like emission block off kits and stuff you can do. Um, and it depends on where you're doing it. Of course, you're trying to make your bike into, you've taken an EXC and you say, I want to make this into a competition bike. So you can eliminate that kind of stuff. What you have to remember is, if your gas tank is full and there's gas splashing up, the stuff that you know would ordinarily just splash up and fall down, well now all of a sudden, it's like someone's sucking on a straw and that straw is getting sucked into your charcoal container. And if the gas tank is full, totally full especially, it's sucking a lot of gas in there and then all of a sudden your mixture is ridiculously rich and the bike is not going to want to start because it's like you... You know on, on an old carburetor bike when you tip it over and then gas would spill out and leak not only onto the ground but also into the intake system, into the... the where the... Um, it would spill out into the carburetor, into the airbox track and you have to hold the bike wide open to clean it out and get it started. Same thing here. But if you eliminate the bike being able to suck through that system, um, so in other words, if, that, if the little brass fitting that were near in your intake uh, were somehow got brazed up and it didn't suck anymore, that whole system kind of sits there. It doesn't cause any faults with the bike, and then it doesn't suck the gas in there. And I would also recommend routing that vent tube to atmosphere, kind of like a dirt bike, and don't tip over, and then it won't spill and you won't have to worry about it anymore. So that is um, my answer for that before everybody kind of jumps on the, oh the valves are tight, which of course, if your bike is hard starting for no particular reason and it just starts to get that way, your valves may be tight, but generally valves get tight because of a couple reasons. Over revving (laughs) is, is a really good way to make your valves tight A lot of over-revving, hitting the reveler. Most riders don't do that. Um, Actually, the best way to over-rev your bike is to downshift in the air while you're landing off a jump. Yep, that works. No rev-limiter is going to stop that, my friend. (laughs) So um, that's probably the best way to do your valves. But generally, if you suck dirt, um, that will also wear the coating off your valves or the coating off the seat, and then your valves will get tight that way. So that's a great way to... Uh, get your valves tight. Rarely do valves just under normal use get tight. Of course, there was some bikes that had a little bit of an a uh, little bit of issues with that in the past, but not so common. Um, and we're back on this. How have the valves held up on the X during those 1,800 miles? I'm pretty sure they're perfect. I checked them at probably 400 miles ish and realized what a pain in the ass it was to get the feeler gauge underneath the intake valves. And they were perfect, and I haven't checked them since. I don't anticipate checking them uh, anytime soon. Uh, if the bike got hard to start, I would check them right away. So that's where I'm at on that valve. I think that you're going to find that that bike is very well built and overbuilt. And, uh, under normal use and stuff it shouldn't be too much of an issue so um... Victor is asking of all the bikes i have tested which one would you consider to be the most bulletproof bike? <laughs> old, new, the year doesn't matter that's a... another loaded question from the <laughs> from the field oh, most bulletproof bike... I would I mean I had an XR80 that I ported the head on and let me tell you how I ported the head. I took the intake um, boot off and I took a Dremel motor in there and a drill and just went rrr, 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 like this. No, I didn't take the head off, I just because I read that porting was good. I didn't even know the difference between two, fork, two stroke or four stroke. I just did it when my dad was away and he didn't know I took the tool. I ported the head on that thing and it sucked and ate all the aluminum and the bike ran great for a long, long time. So, that was a pretty durable bike. Uh, but if we go into recent history you know, I always, I always say that, that, you know, I used to race desert race YZ125s, and I had like a, a fit of seizures on one of those one year, and was it me or was it the bike or you know who knows? But those were really durable in the grand scheme of things. I raced KTM's in the early '90s; those things were indestructible for the most part, at least mine were. Um, but you start finding people doing all these weird different things, and when you start getting to the root of the problem is generally the guy spinning the wrenches on it that that determines the majority of the durability on a vehicle. I don't change my oil all that often. Uh, I, you know, I, I do it more by feel than by what a manufacturer says. I've noticed um, I can feel especially on, on um, you know, bikes that are hard on oil. Let's say you know air-cooled Hondas. I could feel right away when it was getting harder to shift, and that was usually right about the time that I needed to change the oil. And you you, you could sometimes you can even feel. It. I can put it on the dipstick and rub it a little bit of oil on my fingers. You can kind of feel that ah, that stuff's not as slippery-ish as it was. And then when we move on to the modern times, I mean, uh, there's you know all of my KTM two-strokes have been ridiculously reliable, uh, and I've take something back. So back in '92, I think, when I started riding 250s, those KTM power valves used to like to break, and those weren't very durable, and that was a known issue on the 250, 300. But I was talking about 125s. Um, but uh, like, like my rental fleet for my school is a lot of 2000 to 2007 KTM RFS motors. That one is nearly indestructible too. Unless you had a 525 and then you had somebody modify it and then you did this or that to it. And especially by building up heat in the clutch, the 525 can get a little bit unreliable. But if you kind of watch for them, you know that the intake valves wear out after about 150 hours. So you have to replace intake valves on those bikes. It's just like part of the maintenance schedule. I like the Husaberg 570. That's uh, one of my favorite bikes. Okay, we're not going to record your PIN number, I promise you. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep the camera on the small screen. Actually, we can't see you, so it's no worries. We're right next to the ATM machine here. It's all, it's all cash deals here at Dirt Bike Test. Um, if you want to buy us, all you do is come over to the ATM machine, pump some money out, and we'll uh, take care of you. Uh, Husenberg 570, yeah, most durable bike ever known to man except you just don't want to have to work on it because it's uh, difficult, and then I don't know, I've got probably collectively 1500 hours on KTM 500s, and I haven't done anything but replace clutch dampers, and that's it, change the (laughs) oil so um, let's see, he should have turned off his laptop yeah I'm not going to say XR650 I could. I sucked a lot of sand through my XR650, and it still runs. And I rebuilt that one at, like, I don't know how long. A lot, of, a lot of hours on that one, too. But generally, the Honda stuff is really good. The KTM stuff is excellent. Yamaha stuff is excellent. Um, and then my thing with Suzuki's is some of those bikes are really, really good and durable. And then just for no reason, something will break, and it's kind of mystery. And it's not something that's repeatable. It's just like all of a sudden your Kickstarter shaft snapped or... All of a sudden, you know, third gear is missing. So, uh, and then Kawasaki's kind of the same same sort of thing. Uh, Like sometimes the Kawasaki's, like the metal on just like the nuts and bolts where they thread in the frame. Sometimes the plastic wasn't wasn't as good as uh, some of the stuff I'd noticed. So. but they're working on it. And all the time they seem like they're making changes. And now the biggest thing is a lot of stuff is being produced in factories that are not necessarily where you think the factory is. And we'll start seeing how that um, plays out, what where that ends up with a lot of the bikes and stuff these days. Uh, I have noticed a little bit of some stuff on Hondas in the past, probably five or six years, uh, where there's little things that don't seem like they're as tough and durable as they're used to, like, it's just something simple as, like, the frame oxidizes easier than the old ones, and maybe you know, who knows Uh, but it's not like they're breaking or anything like that, so um, is there a good is there a really good um, is there the most durable bike it kind of depends on, like I said probably the guy who's using it, and how much you're maintaining it, and how much of an ear you have for that kind of stuff, I know people that can break anything and speaking of breaking anything, here's something I saw that was on the internet. Uh, I found a thing called Torture Test Magazine, and uh, it was through a YouTube video. And it's this guy who basically his goal is to take motorcycles out and ride them until they die or break. Now I know that guy. That's that's Crazy Nate. He's he takes yeah he takes uh, bikes out and rides them until they die. He puts my used motor oil back in his bikes. Uh, <laughs> he, he rides them until the wheels fall off. The bearings no, no longer work. I think he's always done this. Um, but uh, anyways, this guy has taken uh, a KDX200, and I bought his little magazine. I suggest you go on Torture Test Magazine. Right now it seems like it's just a Shopify account, and you can, you can buy this kind of magazine where he basically took a kdx and rode it until it stopped working and i think he ended up i don't remember how many hours it was on like it was in the four two hundred i don't remember the amount of hours but it's interesting he kind of documents he has actually oil tests done um when he changes the oil kind of on his any developed his own schedule on what he was going to do now the reason this would never fly like no manufacturers are going to come to him and give him a test fleet is because he's completely disregarding their suggested intervals for maintenance and he has a pretty good discussion on why he decided the intervals and some of the interesting stuff he found while ignoring some of these things and he even identified problems before they happened you know he was sticking the camera down inside the the bore of his KDX 200 and 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 seeing that the you know the electrofusion on the cylinder plating coming out and in the end, the the main bearing, the, the big end of the rod, uh, finally gave out. And it was something that uh, he didn't exactly, he wasn't exactly able to check. It's not easy to get a good picture of that that thing. Maybe you could have pulled the reed block out on the KDX. Yeah, I wonder if you'd be able to see it down through the reed block. But uh, nevertheless, I mean, parts have a certain amount of life. And I don't remember exactly how many hours this bike started with, but... Having a lot of experience in running bikes for many many hours, um, I would always stop before there was a catastrophic catastrophic failure. Usually because I would feel them, and it's funny because his his he was doing a, a zero to sixty time, and the bike was getting faster and faster <laughs> as it was getting older, which everybody knows it. Like the two strokes, man, they run great right before they blow up, which means all the all the the big end is you know the the rod, the bearings, the main bearing, and the even the small end bearing is starting to get loose. There's a lot less friction. Yeah, they run really fast, but things are starting to flex and bend, and you've got to pay attention to that. Uh, speaking of that, I have my old 2004 or 5 KTM 200. We just pulled off part because the kid, one of my kid helper kids here, Gabe in town, was riding it, and he's trying to buy it from me. He's trying to work it off. Uh, he said it's making a little bit of a ticking noise, and originally the ticking noise was the o-rings in the exhaust pipe going out and uh causing a little bit of a rattle there but as we we tighten that we put new o-rings and put new springs on it tighten that back up there was a different kind of a ticking noise and yeah it was the actually on this case after we tore it down and we'll do a story on this it was the small end bearing was allowing the piston to kind of flop around in there and for sure it was causing an issue but it was a sound that was new and the bike was running fine but Luckily, he was able to identify that and saved us probably about $500 in parts. Now it's a piston rebuild kit, so we'll go through there and um, fix that thing up. And we have some test parts in there. I think the, uh, we have a hot rods um, uh, rod in there that we rebuilt it with. And so we're going to go back and look at our notes, see how many hours we got in that thing. But it's essentially a piston kit with a new small end bearing and throw it back together and call it all good. So... I'm gonna take a look at my internet feeds here again see if we can uh, see if we can catch up on the questions but anyways go check out this torture test magazine um, watch some of this guy's videos and see what you think uh, I remember when we did the torture test at dirt Rider magazine where it was it was the quote the 24hour and then bikes didn't break after 24 hours so we started trying to kind of kick it up to see if there was really anything that could be learned from doing more and more testing but these days, I mean, bikes are good. You don't, I mean, it's, it's rare that you have a mechanical failure that wasn't caused by something that you didn't do yourself. Uh, okay. Yeah, so Torture Test Magazine. Breaking motorbikes for science and fun. I like that. <laughs> so, we'll see where we're at. Let's see if we go here back to live. Live. Give me some live. I can't even watch myself. I'm dropping out here. (laughs) I would I would get pissed off too. We got to figure out a better way to do this. But anyways, if you listen to it as a as a uh, as a YouTube video, um, the best thing would be to submit your questions before we go live. I'll answer them, and then you can watch it the next day at your leisure. Just uh, start the YouTube video, put your phone in your pocket, walk around, uh, get educated, and lastly before we start getting going here. Um, oh, I know. I was going to talk about the Climb Tactical Pant and Shirt. So, um, Climb has is, is always kind of been into having really cool new materials and stuff in their gear. And I just got their new Tactical short and Pant, and it uses this stuff called, be ready for this, Poron, don't say it wrong, Poron XDR. And uh, it's a it's kind of like a it's a foam that's actually soft so if you, like, you sit on it and you push on it slow it's actually soft and cushy but if you hit it, if it has a high speed acceleration it actually gets kind of stiff and evidently it disperses ninety percent of the energy uh... which is pretty impressive now i haven't had a chance to test this like in actual use other than i kind of knuckled it a few times when it was on my knee or I knuckled it on my, on my chest when I was playing with it and it seems like it's doing something. So and I'm always looking for protection that doesn't inhibit my riding. So because sometimes I think you can be too protected, protected enough to where you can't like operate like you're you're so restricted you can't do what you need to do. So I'm always looking for something like this. It seems like uh that's where all these kind of more technical um fabrics and materials and stuff are going. Um so what it says is the membrane, however it works, the membrane, when it gets hit with an impact, it kind of it essentially freezes momentarily. That it becomes like, sort of like one piece and then disperses that energy, which is kind of neat. But it's, it's awesome to see companies finding these new materials, um, companies developing these new materials and integrating them into things like helmets and gear and stuff like that. So uh, I will let you know as we test it a little bit more, but it's, it's like a, kind of like a, it's like a mesh or net, kind of a net suit. It's, it fits to your skin. It isn't like that 3DO that they have in some of the jackets that, God help me, if it gets cold in the morning and you put on your jacket and it feels like until it warms up, it's just like locked up. Uh, I haven't put this stuff in the freezer and it hasn't been freezing cold. And the one thing I really can't wait for is to get warmer out here to see if it actually allows a lot of airflow because that could be uh, an issue for it as well. So um, more product testing here at Dirt Bike Test. That's what we do. Um, Hopefully we can answer um, those kind of questions as we go. And I think we're getting close. Let's see. We're almost close to an hour. And the other thing I want to talk about is uh, something I've done before, something I'm a big fan of, is the Tour of Idaho. So I don't know if anybody, if you're familiar with that, if you know what it is. Essentially, it's a single track ride. Now, mostly single track. Well, it's single track and double track. A lot of good single track. But basically from Utah to Canada. And it was something I did a video on, a Little did a little documentary on. Uh, it was been three years ago. So I guess three years ago. And there's a couple internet groups and stuff that are all about this. Um, There's a Tour of Idaho group on Facebook. I think it's private. You probably can't even get on it, but you can probably do some research. And if you're really into it, you could probably beg. But you want to go to a website called MotorcycleJazz.com. And there you can learn a lot about it and see if that's something you want to do. But it's supposed to be... An unsupported ride, uh, and I think it ends up being 1,600 miles. Every year is a little bit different. They change the routes, but it goes from Utah all the way up to Canada. I did it solo on a KTM 500 a few years ago, um, and we did. There's a video, I'll put it up on Dirt Bike Test. I'll bump that thing up onto the slider so you can get the link to the video. And it's uh, pretty cool to think that there's still places like that where you can ride your dirt bike. Uh, sixteen hundred miles on really awesome trails and see you know parts of the country that if you aren't committed to doing it you know having the gas tank range and being able to go back here it would take a lot of effort to drive get unloaded and go riding and all this other stuff so um, kind of a kind of a cool thing Thought i'd uh, mention mention that i know i have a lot of uh... friends that uh... are aspiring to do it and i tell them all the time uh, yeah, go ahead, but make sure you're prepared. And we have we have some riders rolling in, so I'm I'm doing a school tomorrow, and I'm doing a, a school, and uh, so some of my students are showing up. We we put this on the forum that they uh, play for, and I'm gonna go back one more time to our questions. See, what we got here, and let's see funny I was live <laughs> let's see I'll click on it one more time as soon as you freeze and you start your computer so when I start my computer it kills it right is that how this works how else am I going to get the comments Uh. Yeah, all the dirt bike. Yeah, so I I, I kind of got through most of them. So it seems pretty good. Um, you know, I think it's all the other guys using their uh, using their phones in here on the internets. But uh, I think that's that's it. So again, one more time. Remember, if you if you miss some of the stuff, I never stop talking. I just get confused and then I look at my computer and I have to turn it back on. So watch it on dirt bike test on because I'll put the YouTube feed, which is just a the camera recording me and then you can ask questions there on last week's feed I go always go on to our discuss forums uh, grab questions from there and then generally before the show goes up I ask you know I say hey we're gonna be live at 7 and then I say hey ask some questions there I will get to your questions it kinda determines what we talk about Um, I spent at least 13 to 27 seconds prepping for this by writing down a couple quick notes and just here to answer your dirt bike and dirt bike product related questions so pretty good this is uh, lucky number seven uh it's time for my time for my beer and uh hopefully we'll see you out on the trail cheers